Welcome everyone, I'm Lauren Hawkins. Thanks for tuning in with us to Spirituality Adventures. We are so glad you're here and we're very excited about the content we get to share with you through our blogs and podcasts. Spirituality Adventures is made possible by your support. One way you can support us is by liking, following, subscribing, or sharing any of these podcasts or blogs that you like. Another way you can support us is by going to our website, www.spiritualityadventures.com. There you can click the support tab and you can sign up for a monthly subscription or a one-time gift. We appreciate all your support. Now here's Fred. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality. And today we are excited to have Calvin Arsenia visiting with us today. Thank you, Calvin, for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. Calvin and I have known each other for a total of maybe three weeks, right? <laughs> yeah. Short period of time. Um, I had a, f- I have a friend that I, you know, follows what I do, and I'm on this series called Creativity and Spirituality. And so I'm interviewing musicians and artists of various kinds, and my friend says, you need to meet Calvin. Actually, what he was originally saying was, you and Calvin should do a, an event together. So I started um, going, okay, well, how do I get connected to Calvin? And because I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know you hadn't followed your career. Um, and then it turns out, I think we had more connections than just that. So my my friend has uh, a couple of close friends. He's a rock climber, and I think a couple of guys that you know. And then, and then I found out that there that there was a little bit of connection from our from your past with uh, some vineyard connection. Uh, yep. And so that that really intrigued me. <laughs> So, um, so I was really just thinking about your music and your artistry and performance and all that, but in my, I always try to check out as much information on people as I can, which led me to your podcast. And I think you might've mentioned this to me when we were, we've had a couple of conversations now mm-hmm. and you mentioned the podcast that you do with your friend, Justin called we were Christian kids. And yeah. so um, to, to my audience, why don't you first give a little bit of background in terms of your growing up in, in the church in Kansas city, particularly yep. Olathe, and then how you came to do the podcast. We were Christian kids. Wow. Well, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it all started in a little town in Kansas called, called Olathe and, uh, and um, my family had moved there um, after we all survived Y2K. And we, uh, my mom moved our family to, to the area for Sprint. She worked at Sprint. And they transferred us from, from Central Virginia. And, um, and so we found ourselves connected in different um, churches in the area when I was young, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13. And I started, you know, over the years, got more and more involved, uh, picked up a guitar and was immediately put on stage and singing songs um, for the youth services and different Bible studies throughout the week. And I discovered a, a deep love for, for worship music and for the worship experience and and sharing music and, and vulnerability. Um, and, I, and I became very... Um, 
I, I wouldn't say addicted, but I would say adjusted to that feeling. Um, and then, and so then I found myself in different kind of worship environments all around the city, worship nights and prayer meetings. And, and then I was involved in, um, with the international house of prayer, um, and did some, some training with them and then hosted my own prayer meetings and worship nights. Um, but kind of what my, my goal all the time was to, was to not just be serving one specific kind of Christian, but instead to be inviting every kind of Christian. If we all honor Jesus and if we all honor God, then, then why cannot, why can't we share space even if our worship looks different? And so I wanted to, 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 build communities um, that were kind of parachurch communities um, inside the church, uh, or sorry, inside our schools, and also um, at different events throughout the week. And so that um, kind of naturally progressed into me uh, going on a, a missions trip with my worship team uh, when I was 20. And we were um, charged and felt compelled and, and called to go to Edinburgh, Scotland and to serve as a, as a band, kind of a, a covert operation. We were, we were a rock band playing love songs and uh, I played keys for that band. And we were there for um, two weeks the first time. Then I went back the, the following year, another two week trips and trip. And on that trip, I was invited to be the worship minister for the church that we were serving in Edinburgh. And also to, which was a kind of a, a missional community. And I'm sure you're, you're familiar with that, but maybe some of your listeners aren't. But the missional mindset would be that we're not trying to put butts and seats in our services, but instead that we are trying to bring the kingdom into our normal, regular, natural environments and the things that we are, um, that we are, uh, naturally drawn to. And so there was a, a one member of our congregation, a very small, but, 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 uh, fiery congregation. And she did salsa dancing and that was her outreach. And then another person had a poker night with, with, with friends in the neighborhood. And that was his outreach. And I served, you know, quote unquote served, but also it, it was a very real, um, connection to other humans. Um, by going to all the open mic nights that I could go to and just talking to people and hearing their story and, and trying to see how, how could, how could I help facilitate them finding, finding, realizing and fulfilling their dreams. And in that process, um, it was the first time that I'd ever left home. And so therefore it's very, um, formative for me because I also had a lot of freedom to think and to meet people who had other kinds of thoughts and, and, um, and to ask some big questions in a way that, that, that allowed me to come up with some of my own conclusions. And, and I felt this uh, lifelong burden of shame attached to my sexuality that, um, that I, I, I remember very specifically praying to God. I said, I know you don't want me to hate myself. I know that. And, and I know that you don't hate me, but, but all the time the equation turns out where I hate me and this is, this isn't working anymore. And, and I was, you know, very depressed, not clinically, but I was just sad all the time. And, um, and then I saw some other things that were happening within the church community, not only the one that I was serving in Edinburgh, but also the ones that I'd come from that I felt was not an effective way to, to call people into their fullest self that it looked very, very different than what I believe Jesus wanted. And so I ended up, um, my visa ran out. I was there for two years, had to come back. And um, 
didn't want to be a missionary anymore. And, um, and then I found myself in Kansas City again, kind of going back through my old things, my old closet, my old Walmart, my old, my old church and feeling very out of place. And so I, I relocated from the burbs of Olathe down to Kansas City and left my left a lot of my old life behind and um, I became a full-time musician because I felt that my work as an artist and as a singer and as a curator of spaces was a very effective uh, place and had a very large impact on my audiences and on, on the, my collaborators. And then fast forward a few years, we have a global pandemic. Um, I have a, a best friend from childhood that went through a lot of those same experiences with me, who's currently located in, in New York City. And he is a comedian um, and also a homosexual. And, uh, and we have all these, these like, you know, theological discussions about, or not theological, but just like discussions in general about our childhood theologies, about the things that we were raised in and about religious trauma. And we felt that there, especially at a time when we when we could no longer run away from all of the things that 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 we are afraid to talk about in normal conversation, such as racism, such as white supremacy, and this was like another one that impacted our lives, and and I kind of looked around in a very cursory glance, some to my right and to my left, and I realized that there are millions of us out there in America alone who have experienced religious trauma to some degree. And, and within my own community, you know, a handful of people who this is really impacted, but we're afraid to talk about it. And this is not something that you're hearing on the news. This is not something that you're um, that, that comes up outside of the walls of therapy. Probably it's not it's not what you talk about at dinner. And so um, but but he and I did all the time. And so so we were just like, let's just record our conversations and see what happens. And maybe we'll have a couple guests if if somebody wants to you know talk about this. But the response has been really amazing and incredible and 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 mostly because there are so many people that have written in strangers to me strangers to Justin who who have experienced similar experiences and have felt so alone in those experiences and just to hear that somebody else can share that space with them has changed their life and allowed them to have those maybe somewhat awkward conversations that you only have to have one time in order to live a life that is a little bit more free. And, and so, um, yeah, we have this podcast. We've, we are on episode 17. We're doing it every week, um, which is pretty, um, uh, uh, kind of demanding, (laughs) but, but, um, but at the same time, very rewarding and, um, and, and yeah, we're going to keep doing it as long as we can. And, um, and even if, you know, the, the cool thing about podcasts, as you probably well know, is that they kind of live there and, and they're accessible. It's like a library. And so um, even if we do need to take a pause because we're on tour or whatever, do seasons or however this is, because neither of us are, you know, we, we didn't really have that much of a, of a detailed plan um, and strategy when we started. We just were like, let's just record our conversations and, and see where it goes from there. And it's been it's been an amazing ride. Well, thank you for for giving us some background on that. I so I have listened. You you've got sixteen episodes out, I think, as of this morning, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've probably listened to six of them, and I tried to pick the ones that were most 
provocative for me mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because, and I want to, I want my, and correct me if, if I give a description that doesn't fit. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't sure what I was going to get into when I was listening to it. So I start listening and, and, and for my audience, it is a critique of the Christianity that you grew up in. Yes. And particularly, the two of you grew up in very similar Christian, evangelical, conservative environments, right? So you're very clear about trying to say, we're speaking about how we grew up. Yeah. And and, and it sounded like both of your parents brought you up in these environments. Is that correct? Yeah, his his were a bit more severe than mine, but yes. (laughs) Okay, right. So you had parents that were bringing you up in these very conservative, evangelical environments environments and Justin mm-hmm. is Caucasian, you're African American, all right? Yep. And both of you were wrestling with your sexual identity. Yeah. And so you basically uh at the age of it sounds like both of you are about 30 now. I'm not sure if that's correct yes. or yeah. not. Yep. And so basically at the age of 30, you're reflecting back on all of these Christian experiences that you had. And you're at times you're very snarky. <laughs> Right. Um, At times you're very sarcastic. Mm -hmm. Uh, At times you can be, um, uh, you know, quite harsh in some of your critiques of Mm -hmm. the environments that you grew up in. Is that a fair assessment? So I kind of want my audience, if they run out there thinking they're going to get, you know, a biblical inspiration (laughs) or something, you know, um, that's not what it is. No. And what's interesting to me is you, you tackle some of the um, some of the sacred traditions of evangelicalism. So, like, you have a whole talk on fear tactics, mm-hmm. which is the altar call, right? Yeah. And you have a whole conversation about the the sexual purity culture that you guys grew up in, and you have a whole mm-hmm. conversation about high key psychological warfare, <laughs> and you have one on. Um, it's called missionary style, which I was expecting something totally different, but you actually explore the whole missions thing. Cause you were a missionary in Edinburgh, by the way, I was in Edinburgh for just four days. One time mm. I yeah. did a speaking tour in the 1990s at vineyard churches in England, mm. but had never been to Scotland. And so I had a four day break and me and, I, and my mom and dad was with me and, um, and my ex-wife and we all went up to Edinburgh for four days and loved it. Had a yeah. blast. It was a place I wish I could have spent a bunch more time. I mean, same. <laughs> oh wow! I I just could have literally lost myself there in so many spaces. Yeah, yeah. there's a quite a quite a religious history there too. You know, with the Reformation and yeah, Scottish Reformation, all that stuff. Very fascinating. And, but but it, it's, it's it's a lot of sites. Where, where Christians beat up other Christians or oh, killed other Christians. That's all know? of Europe. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's European Christian history, which is why right. so many don't go to church anymore, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, very few people in Europe attend churches these days because of all that that mm-hmm. uh, religious warfare history, right? So, right. well, um, so, it, so I found myself cringing at times and I found myself like going, Oh man, like in some ways it felt like you were critiquing me. Right. Cause I mm-hmm. started this, 
uh, church in 1990, and it you know it grew to several thousand people, and we we certainly practice some, though not all. Mm-hmm. There, my my version would have been a grace based nuance of what you grew up in. Mm-hmm. So very much of what you grew up in, but but very much grace based. Like I, mm-hmm. my vision when I started the church was to have a grace based church for people outside the church, and accept anybody and I don't care where you've been or what you've done. You're welcome here. God loves you. And that, that really would have been my heartbeat from day one. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I always lived up to that, but it certainly was at the core. There's, there's a bit of like, it's, it's the ideologies surrounding Western Christianity it it almost it's bigger than any individual person or congregation because it's this network it's this web it has all these tendrils and and i hear you and i and i do like and i have met people who are very much grace based but even in my in my brain <laughs> like because I would, I would, I'm the same, right? And I would, and I, and I was, the, I was the same for a long time. And then I probably became more, more, more conservative, more severe. But I remember just feeling all of the people who I tried to get to come to church with, without understanding what kind of church I was talking about, that they already had these feelings of you're judging me just in this conversation. Mm. So regardless of, of, and I never, and I personally never said any of those things. But it's the whole like of the unit that has to have a rebrand if it's going to try to, to to live up to this idea of everyone is welcome yeah i i agree i yeah. agree and what was interesting as i listened to um you and justin talk um i i felt like both of you are very eloquent i i mean you put your ideas together in in really articulate ways mm-hmm. they're well thought out um they're very heartfelt and and even when you were critiquing, like I remember you saying um, on the altar call one, it was like maybe we should give a reverse altar call and save people from Christianity. <laughs> and you know, I yeah. thought you know, and that you know, like I gave a lot of altar calls. Okay, so like I remember yeah. you and Justin going, "Did you get one? Did you get one?" You know, but, <laughs> and I gave thousands of them, right? And, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so. Um, but I was I, I thought about that when you said that, and I thought you know there's so many. You know, think about it. There's so many Christians who don't act hardly anything like Jesus, mm-hmm. and so so there's a lot of people that need to be saved from a Christianity that doesn't look anything like Jesus. Yeah, and saved from all of the shame that came from that experience, and saved from you know the the culture around america in general at large the um around around choosing convenience or even materialism i mean i'm not saying that what is considered secular humanism um to use a phrase that we're familiar with i'm not saying that i'm like you know 100 percent in that court either because i think what my heart is looking for is a spiritual community is some kind of sense of my my 80 to 100 years of life matter i want i want to matter and i want those years to matter and i believe that they do and so, because some of the stuff that we talk about in, in apologetics and in, in logic-based kind of reasoning is like, 
you know, if you don't have a, like, if, if there is no God, then you have no purpose. And I don't, and I don't believe I'm not that I'm not there either. Um, I don't know what, what or why we're here. And I, and I want to be like furiously curious to, to find out or to, or to, to learn and to always be learning and to always be fascinated and to always be um, open to, to, to more and to more information. And my experience in the church would not allow me to believe that we are, that we're here with no purpose or that we're here with, without the ability to have deep and meaningful, meaningful existence with one another and the connectedness that we have in one another. I mean, I used to be a part of like really, profound prophetic communities right and so so like and 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 we would speak beautiful words over one another and things that would that would seemingly you know other without any other reason come out of completely thin air but be spot on and and what that leads me to believe in these days is that is that it's a part of the human mechanism to understand one another deeply without words and that maybe this isn't something that that should be chalked up to only spirituality but it's just a part of the human condition and that we should all be operating in this with or without speaking in tongues or or being laying out in the spirit or or, yeah. or having responded to an article. I think it is something that is inside of us. That's my only logical conclusion. And so, I mean, I just, I do have a pretty harsh critique of the churches that I grew up in. And the reason why I feel the need to speak so harshly is because I haven't heard anybody from inside say any of these things before and i've been out for a while so maybe there isn't but or maybe there is but but i just i and and my 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 biggest surprise is to hear people who are still actively involved in their churches who are listening and who are grateful and and that was never that was never anything with you know within our realm of possibilities for for what was going to happen um in you know, through the podcast, but it's been, it's been quite a ride. Yes. Oh man. You know, so when I listen, there's so many conversations we could have. It could go <laughs> on for hours and it'd be fun. Uh, I would yeah. really enjoy, and maybe we'll have more, but I want to, you know, I want to focus it a little bit here. So sure, sure, sure. what, when I listen to you guys talk over the course of six episodes. So I've, I've listened in the last week about six hours of you guys having conversations. <laughs> so so I'm dreaming about your guys's conversations now, right? Yeah. I'm going to bed and like, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing your words, you know? So it's funny. <laughs> and then I've listened to your albums over and over again too. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I got Calvin running through my head these days. So anyway, and not John Calvin either. So, um, anyway, <laughs> um, but, uh, nonetheless, um, as I listened to you guys, the, one of the things that I heard was how much shame you had growing up in these environments with your own sexuality. And I understand shame, Calvin. I, I've shared with you some of what I went through the last couple of years, and I was so deep into my own shame, felt, oh gosh, like so dark that I wasn't suicidal, but I was a step above it. Yeah. And feeling where you just want to, you want to dissolve. I, I like, just wake up wanna... every morning hating myself. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I, I wish and you like, could just disappear. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Small, like you don't, you don't want to have small, to endure the pain small. or like the mess, but you just want to evaporate. Oh, it's, oh, I hate that. And hearing you guys talk about that and how, 
you know, to some degree, I mean, maybe to big degrees, your own families and religious environments accentuated. Mm-hmm. You know, so like think about just any of us that grow up with our sexuality, no matter what, <laughs> no matter what how kinds. we identify, yeah. it's confusing, right, for young yeah. kids to grow up and figure sexuality out, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, especially and then, when it's when it's taboo in every form. Like, exactly. And then yeah. and then to be conflicted with the messages that are coming at you all the time and then to feel shame at the very core of your being and the religious trauma that that created. And so I, what I heard from you guys both over the course of listening was like in your heart of hearts, if you could rescue kids out there in all of these churches that might be going through a similar experience of shame and trauma that you would do it. Yeah. In a heartbeat. And absolutely, I appreciate that heart. And I have to think that there's a lot of grace-based, loving religious leaders who might listen, or they be pastors of Christian churches or or uh, mosques or temples or whatever stripe they might be. And I think I would I would love for pastors all over the place or religious leaders to listen to you guys to get a little window into religious trauma. Yeah, and how we can not create those environments. Let's talk yeah. just a little bit about religious trauma because it's a real mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. People go through it all different kinds of ways. Um, yeah, your and your it, particular and, and trauma, experience. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, tr- well, trauma is is like there's it's not something that is so easy and cut and dry and black and white. It's everyone everyone has it, and it's and it's kind of tailor made to each individual. And so it's not something that it's like we can just have a blanket paintbrush and say, okay, well, I didn't do X, Y, and Z, so you didn't experience trauma, you know, from a pastor or from a parent's point of view. But it's like if it wasn't one thing, it's probably another. And and the point is like listening to one another and being able to have an open dialogue. And and um, and and what is trauma to one person could it wouldn't necessarily be trauma to another person. So it's like it's something that I think should be in the arsenal of every religious institution of every um, religious teacher or, or mentor or parent. I think that we need to be able to have language and to have, and to not be afraid of really stepping into that space and holding that space and creating that space. If it doesn't create itself naturally to, to be able to address those things. Um, now I'm not a psychologist. I've never even been to therapy yet. I'm going to, um, but but I but I am somebody who explores these things a lot and tries to open up those conversations within my just interpersonal relationships, and um, and that came as a result of being in Bible studies and small groups and stuff for my for most of my formative life, and so, um, so I, I just I just know that that there is a lot of effective things that happen in those spaces. I'm you know. Crying at the crying at the altar calls. I mean, it's just like such a such a, a specific depiction of of that. Is like sometimes people respond to altar calls because of all of the you know all of the shame that they're feeling. And I want to be I want to be relieved of that, which is kind of this like self fulfilling prophecy. Would people feel so much shame that they would have to respond in this way with all of this emotion if there weren't people telling them that they were messed up all the time? I don't know. <laughs> I 
you know? Shame-based anything is, I just don't think it's good for the human soul. Right. I think grace-based everything. Yeah. (laughs) You know, this is where it's at. So I, yeah, so you asked me uh, uh, just might have been yesterday if in all of my religious training if i'd ever had a course on religious trauma and my answer was no mm-hmm. and so you know think about it. i'm 60 and i went through i went to one of the largest religious institutions universities for a bachelor's degree majored in religion uh in preparation for ministry there at baylor and then I went to a, one of the largest seminaries in the world in Fort Worth, Texas, Southwestern Seminary, Masters of Theology, Master, they called it Master of Divinity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds, I always thought that's a funny name for it. Anyway, Fancy. Master of Divinity. <laughs> anyway, how can you be ever be that, right? Anyway, then, <laughs> and then um, I did a Doctor of Ministry at Fuller Theological in Pasadena, which is one of the premier evangelical institutions in the country, in the world. Then I was working on a PhD in the Hebrew Bible, just short of my dissertation, working on my dissertation when I went to rehab a couple of years ago. <laughs> and uh, never once did I have a course on religious trauma or how how various people can experience trauma religiously, uh, how we might either avoid creating that or at the same time help people come out of it right you know and so you know my answer was no and then we we started talking about i mean there's a huge need there just imagine if if the global church shifted their narrative that they were providing free therapy for religious trauma instead of teaching the stuff that they're normally teaching, I think their churches would be full. <laughs> you know, I I had a mentor say when I was younger, um, if you preach to people's pain, you'll never lack an audience. Mm-hmm. And I might change that word from preach to just if mm-hmm. you care and listen and love and, and talk about wonderful ways to heal from mm-hmm. pain you probably won't ever lack an audience. Yeah. I don't know. I have a feeling. I know all my therapists that I refer people to now are full for the next three or four months because everybody <laughs> coming through this pandemic is like just yeah. all the mental health issues are off the charts right now and leaning yeah. in the trending in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I have, I, I want to toss a couple of ideas to you because there's a couple of times where you and Justin say, well, wouldn't it be cool if there was a Christianity that, and then you say some things and I'm like going, oh, I could be on with that one, you know? And um, so one of them was like, what if Jesus saved us? You know, like, like not, not if we're just trying to scare people out of hell, but what if people, what if Jesus saved us from, uh, and I think you were, I think Justin said this, like not loving ourselves or saved us from not loving ourselves or not loving others or not loving what we're all, you know, this greater, higher power thing that we're all connected to, that kind of a thing. And what if, what if Jesus saved us from like self-destructive things and, mm-hmm. and helped us to love others, love ourselves, 
mm-hmm. and be connected to something that's loving and greater that's bigger than us. Mm-hmm. I go, I buy into that. <laughs> Spir- sounds almost familiar. <laughs> <laughs> spirituality adventures. I like to say spirituality is, is connection to self others and something greater than you. That's loving and caring or, be- or belonging to, to mm-hmm. self others and something that's greater than you. That's loving and caring. So, yeah. And then, I, I want I wanted to run this by you. So when we, we guys were talking about the Great Commission, and and uh, I, I I was thinking about Jesus. You know, there's four versions of the Great Commission at the end of each gospel, but the most famous one is the Matthew chapter 28 one, where Jesus says, "Go into all uh, all all the world and make disciples. You know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you." So I, I was thinking about this as as I as I was listening to you guys. What if what if we talked about the Great Commission like go and make disciples? Disciples are learners. So when you described how you valued learning, openness, curiosity, mm-hmm. I actually wrote that down as one of my core values just recently. Mm-hmm. Curious, open, learner, hungry mm-hmm. to just learn and grow right so learn disciples are learners students basically you know so go and make learners of all the nations everywhere and then there's this trinitarian formula baptizing them the father son holy spirit and i there's a wonderful my favorite book on the trinity is by richard war it's called the divine dance beautiful book and i'd encourage any of my listeners to read it and you as well. I mean, I think you would love many, many parts of it. But he pictures this, the Trinity as a as a community of love, a community of dance and love that is both one, unified, and diverse. So a community of love that's both unified and diverse. Mm-hmm. So, and baptism means immersion. So what if we made learners, open, curious people who are immersed into a community of loving dance that's diverse and unified and that we taught people how to live by the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings mm-hmm. of Jesus, love your neighbor. Upside down kingdom. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I love it. I would I would love that. And and that's kind of what, you know, some of the things that we're also trying to explore in the podcast is that because there's, there's, there's not been a lot of middle ground. I think if you, if you are somebody who, who has experienced trauma from the church or, or disagree with, with the way that things are conducted inside of local churches, then, then you tend to not want to look at anything that Jesus said and throw out the baby with the bathwater. And and I think we're trying to create a space where let's 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 uh, let's actually do the thing that we were taught not never to do, and that's cherry pick, <laughs> and at least find let's find out like what we, what what it, what of those experiences are we still using in our life hmm. that we find beneficial, and what are what are some of the teachings of Jesus or the or the Psalms or or wherever you know mm-hmm. in the scriptures that have proven themselves to be worthy in our lives from, from personal experience. Mm -hmm. And, and, 
and let's use those things because if they're good, they're good, and and if they're good to us, and then let's you know why not? So, so, and and also to 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 have that be in a way that we're not, you know, we're not pretending to be anything that we're not, and I think a lot of my life I, I wasn't pretending, but I definitely had to self edit a lot. And, 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 you know, code switch is a, is a phrase that, that we have these days, but, but to, to use different language when I was around certain people or addressing certain things. Um, and I, and I want to be able to be a holy individual in all of the senses of those words as somebody who is, is participating in a romantic relationship with a man, as somebody who likes to to have alcoholic drinks every once in a while as somebody who hasn't been into into a church in in several years now or at least not in a regular regular sense and and how do i as this individual as this artist who wears makeup and glitter and earrings and paints my nails how do i get to have a holy experience in this body as it is and and to not change things in order to to be more culturally acceptable by by white suburban churches that I that I was raised in, and am I still a holy individual? Am I still an eternal being? Am I still um, somebody who has communed with the Father? And and and, and I believe in a lot of ways I, I I was at least what I this this again greater being who is loving and benevolent and who and who gives a sense of belonging. I have experienced that for years. We you know all the time. Um, and, and I believe that those experiences were real experiences to the sense that I was connecting with something greater than me. And, um, and I don't want to resent that, those parts of my mm-hmm. life. And, and I think a lot of people in the resentful community, resenting communities, um, uh, would, um, would would want me to question all of those things and so um and 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 sure i can question that too and 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 allow that to be a safe space to Mm -hmm. do so um so i just um yeah i want to be able to to look at all of these things kind of objectively and anthropologically um to understand the inner workings of it and what is beneficial and, and 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 what is um what can be can be left aside and, and how do we move forward as a society and as people and as individuals in a way that is healthy and sustainable and, um, and brings us into a more empathetic future? You're so eloquent, <laughs> really. And I'm, I mean, you, you, you word things beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, that, that's, that's amazing. You know, I, so here's an interesting thing. I, everybody cherry picks the scriptures. Everybody. (laughs) I could sit down with my seminary professors who, who we know the Bible pretty well, right? Mm. I could teach seminary, you know, I'm qualified, Mm -hmm. I'm credentialed. Okay. So I could sit down with any of them and point out hundreds of passages in the Bible that they ignore. Now they would always have good reasons for why they ignore these and not these. Yeah. But there's, there is there's a rhyme or reason to to why people ignore some and and put more emphasis on others and 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 there are cultural lenses for all of that mm-hmm. and the eastern orthodox church has very different lenses and looks at scriptures very differently and and emphasizes some and de-emphasizes others very differently from the western church Right. There's all kinds of 
streams out there in the Christian tradition over 2,000 years of history, just like there are all kinds of streams. I wor- I've worked in the Muslim Arab Muslim world for over mm-hmm. a decade. Um, there's multiple streams there. There's multiple streams in the Jewish faith. There's multiple streams in the Buddhist faith. There's all kinds of streams with every tradition that you have, the faith tradition that you find out there. And so I think it, I think it is, uh, I think people do need to step out or try to step outside their own lens and, you know, getting, ex- listening to people, having conversations with people, not trying to just debate and win an argument, right? but open-heartedly loving people because they're created in the image of God, however you want to say that. They're people of worth and dignity. And we have common connections because of who we're this humanity because of what we are yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and it's yeah. it's really beautiful when we can connect with at the heart level yeah. i've i've sat i've found that in recovery groups where you sit around a room with you could sit around with a christian a buddhist an atheist uh, anybody any kind of lifestyle and everybody shares about their brokenness mm. and the spirit moves and there's a yeah. connection to that honest vulnerable authenticity yeah. At the very human level, that's as tangible as any spirit moving I ever witnessed anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Well, when I listened to your worship uh, podcast, <laughs> I was I was actually caught off guard because I'd listened to some of the others first, and they were quite uh, quite snarky sarcastic and so i'd kind of gotten into the rhythm of that and then when you when you and justin talked about worship all of a sudden there was a different tone you weren't nearly as as harsh uh in your critique of of worship music or or some of you know and you wanted to be a worship leader and you were you were a worship leader and you wanted that to be your lifelong career and that was a big part of your whole identity from the time you were very, very young, is if I'm understanding right. Yeah, I mean, I was probably 13 or so when, when I um, had made that a priority. Um, yeah, not as quite young. And, and so it was very evident that there's still aspects of that that you hold on to and that you cherish, which you, you kind of expressed that in a broader way just a moment ago. Yeah, but how you're trying to hold on to some things, and maybe ex- maybe just express a little bit about what you're holding on to from that experience with worship music, yeah, and worship and leading. It's, it's see, it's also reminds me of what you were just saying in the in, in the recovery group when you open up, you know, when you tell your story, when you when you are vulnerable about pain, when you're vulnerable about being, um, about not being complete or, um. Or, or that you're still in a place where you're, where you're, you know, you're recovering from things, or you're, um, you're becoming who you're becoming, um, and and in the space of worship, um, in churches, we we enter that space on a regular basis, and at least as a worship leader, I took my role very um, importantly, as as you know, it is my job to to facilitate an experience to get people to encounter an uncreated God coming from wherever they came from, having no musical background as fast as possible. 
and and to get everyone in on the same page as fast as possible so how do we do that and 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 this every encounter with this uncreated god is a life-changing experience and can be something that changes the narrative of that person's life from now for the rest of eternity so of course i'm going to take that like <laughs> like it's a big deal because it is and it was and and i've now adopted that that same those same principles as an artist and as a, and as a man as a person that that we can have those same kinds of um, encounters with with the person who's 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 checking out your groceries or or your bank teller or the person who's serving you at the restaurant like there is opportunity in every human connection to change the narrative of that person or to or to invite them into a space that could change the rest of their life for the better and 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 as a, and as a musician people come to my shows having not um you know, maybe this is the, you know, they, they got a babysitter, they get a babysitter once a year and they came out to my show and they got all dressed up and, and they, and they, and they, they, they spent some money and they, and they rented a dress and a, and a tuxedo and, and they went to, to dinner beforehand and they've got drinks afterwards and, and, and the hour, two hours that they have with me is not something that they get to do on a weekly basis like we would do in church. It's not something that they get to do very often. And so, and we've all been at shows or conferences or 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 concerts or or festivals that 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 when we, where we had life changing experiences in those places, shows, festivals, concerts, they are all just as much of a ritual or have the opportunity to be just as much of a ritual as some of the most ritualistic things that we do and that we did in the church. And so. Um, I take a lot of the kind of uh, feel good things from from weddings and funerals and and um, worship nights with the candles and the and the, and the mood setting and the incense and the um, and the sharing you know the testifying to say that that uh, I I have been broken and either through song or or through word try to share something in me every time I'm on stage that feels scary like we would do in accountability groups but do it on a public forum and and my question is always will my audience receive me will 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 you know in in kind of like in in parallel with will will, will god still love me if I confess these things kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and, and what we would experience in church when somebody would testify, when they would say, I'm being led through this thing or, or, or this is my experience or whatever. And like you were saying in the recovery groups, like, like this is, this is my hang up. The spirit would always fall. And, and I believe the same thing is happening in my shows, not in the same exact sense, but, but something that feels similar. And so, um, yeah, I absolutely, believe that there's something very human in this experience and um and i feel very excited to be able to provide those those experiences now for people who who may have no other way to 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 have those it's beautiful so uh when i listened to the worship podcast you did three different um worship songs on the podcast and i was moved on on every one of them. It really touched me because I hadn't heard those songs in quite a while myself. And so yeah. that is very, very good. So I, I, I wanted to ask you, um, and we're going to do a second part together where we yeah. talk and focus more on your, your musical career and, 
your artistic uh, performance career and all that stuff, which people are going to be amazed if they don't know you to dive into that. And I, I really want to encourage everybody to stick with you and experience your music and performance and all of that because it's so rich and so beautiful. Um, but uh, I, I'd ask you just to close us with this first segment with with one of your songs. And by the way, you started on guitar, right? as a child yeah. just so people know but then 10 years yes. ago you picked up the harp and you've become yeah. this has become uh, one of your identifying features is the <laughs> spiritual nature of calvin and the harp <laughs> it's yes. very cool all right When peace like a river my way When sorrows like sea billows Beautiful. Hey, all right. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't clap into the mic like that probably. Anyway, but uh, beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in to this episode of Spirituality Adventures. Hope to see you next time and uh, we'll be doing a part two with Calvin. Thank you so much, Calvin, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for tuning in. Remember to visit our support page at www.spiritualityadventures.com. If you like what you heard, be sure to share it and leave a comment. Thanks again. Have a great day. Harvey Media Production.